It's really good to be here, isn't it? <laughs> I, you know, I, God's done a number on me in the last few few months. You know, He does that, doesn't He? Uh, and I don't know. I just can't get over how uh, amazing His family is. And we're all different, aren't we? If you look around, you think, "Wow, we we dress differently, we look different, we do different things, but we're all the same family, which is great, isn't it?" Sometimes it's a little challenging, but it's good. <laughs> I'm really excited about this message, uh, Olympic-sized competition. And basically what it is, is to think about uh, what it is to have the mindset of the kingdom. You know, and we, in these days, we need to have a mindset of the kingdom. Because God's doing new things amongst his church. I believe he's starting to revive his church in this country. I'll explain more about that later. But I think we just need to be living expectantly. And I've seen here... The level of expectation is beginning to rise. What an awesome worship time that was, singing our hearts out to God. And just his presence coming. I'm looking forward to the point where his glory falls. You know, our bodies are not really built to carry the glory of God. You kind of move funny and you fall on the floor and all that kind of thing. One day we'll have bodies that are able to cope with all of that. But until such time, we might see some funny things happening as the glory of God comes. But let it come in the name of Jesus. In Habakkuk 2 verse 14, it says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. If you're wondering what God's about in this world, it's about enabling people to understand the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That's what we're built to do, to to see his glory, to worship him in his glory, to move in his glory and be glory carriers in the world. Not bad, is it? So, Let me just tell you a bit about myself. This year, amazingly, saw the 40th anniversary of me becoming a Christian. And uh, yes, yeah, I was young. (laughs) The church I grew up in was a a great place to grow up in. It it was a church that loved the Bible. I got my love for the scriptures from that church. We loved food. We loved working together. There were many fat Christians in that church. It was great. But it was good. It was good. It was a good community. And I saw something of what could be a community right from the beginning with that church. If you fast forward in terms of my um, experience, at the age of 16, uh, we went to Spring Harvest. And uh, that was new to me. Uh, Butlins was new to me for a start. But also, so was this thing, the Holy Spirit. What's the Holy Spirit? You know, why are people putting their arms in the air and why are they jumping up and down? We don't do that in our church. It was all a new experience. And why? what's this tongues thing? I had no idea. But I wanted to know more. I uh, went to university, spent the time in university in a, in a Baptist church, which was great. Again, the gifts of the Holy Spirit being, were flowing there. Again, I was thinking, how does this work? What is the Holy Spirit doing here? But it did ignite a desire in me to get to know the Holy Spirit. The church I grew up in was great. It had God the Father, God the Son, and we really don't know. Um, so you just you know you understand that from my background. <laughs> then I went to an Anglican church, which was a, a renewed Anglican church, as it was called. This means they liked the Holy Spirit and they had a drum kit. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> during this time, I felt that I needed to leave what I was doing, which was full-time uh, Christian work, in terms of working with uh, Campus Crusade for Christ at the time in schools. And I did some detached youth work with the church. I felt that was coming to an end. And uh, I embarked on a career in financial services. And I was completely ill-equipped for working in the workplace, in one sense. I enjoyed what I was doing. 
I enjoyed the workplace, but I was not equipped to deal with the kind of things that go on in a workplace or the kind of ways that people enjoy themselves after work. Yeah, you know, you're with me, aren't you? You understand. So I found myself after a short while, maybe two or three years, really, without thinking about it, I had moved away from God. And if you'd see me on a, on a Sunday morning, you would not have known particularly that anything was wrong with me. I was pretty good at doing church. You know, we can put the mask on and we can do the right things and say the right things. But inside, I was hollow. Inside, I was hollow. I was wearing a mask. But God had a plan at that point. In the mid-90s, we went for a holiday to Denmark. We met up with an old friend of mine that I'd known back in the day. And he didn't say anything particular to me. I don't know whether you've ever been in this situation where you meet somebody and you think, something's changed. And it's not him. (laughs) And it was me. It was like looking into a mirror and I realized that I'd just gone so far away from where God wanted me to be. And at that point, I just simply repented and I asked God to forgive me. And I asked him to, I said, I really want to serve you. I want to be with you. And that's what I did. And I've remained, I think, faithful by and large to Christ ever since that occasion. Many of you may may remember we moved to Hale Zone in uh, 1999, December. And we started coming to this church uh, in uh, January of 2000 uh, as a result of Nick Lawrence introducing us to this church. So if you want to hold anybody responsible, he's your guy. Again, that hunger for the Holy Spirit was rising in me. I was thinking, what what is the Spirit doing? What is the the Holy Spirit doing in my life? I gradually realized that the Holy Spirit was not an it, like in Star Wars, or a force. It was a he. 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 The Holy Spirit has personality. He is the third person of the Godhead. Fast forward again, 2006, and we left for India. And I had this kind of innate curiosity about what God was doing. I'd always been one of these guys who'd said, Lord, if you want to use me, use me. I'll I'll go fully for you. I remember during the year previous to that, I'd been praying about, I think I was going to preach that morning, been praying about the sermon, and God just said to me very quietly, You've got one life, what do you want to do with it? And I didn't get the sense he was saying you have to do this or that. But at that point I said, Lord, I'm going to go to India. I have no idea what we're going to do there, but I'm going to go. 110%. So we landed in Chennai as a result of Shirley's prayers and my curiosity. More apprehensive than full of faith, to be honest. But sure that God had a plan for our life. My experience of the Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God was about to undergo a tremendous test. I was going to be refined, refocused, and discover God in a more intimate way than I ever had done before. Painful, but glorious. One of the occasions that I had there was I was at a conference with a guy called Rajan, who you met, some of you have met. He came here once, uh, four years ago. He was the pastor of the church in India, which I later became pastor of myself. And uh, we went to Hyderabad together, which was a, a, an experience in itself, 21 hours on a train, uh, with, in, with Indian families, just brilliant. I just had to be there to experience it. But it was just an amazing time. And we went to this Indian Pentecostal church. They asked me kindly if I would take off my rings because they don't wear any jewellery. I was panicking because I'd never take my wedding ring off before. I didn't know where to put it. But, you know, we needed to uh, just concentrate on what we were doing there. Rajan said to me, I'm going to preach tonight, but I don't always minister afterwards. I said, you know, you, you kind of hear it, but you don't hear it. And I thought, okay, that sounds all right. And uh, what I didn't realize, what that meant for me. 
So, so we went and we were preaching and we saw various things start to happen during the service. It was an awesome time. And Rajan finished preaching and he walked off the stage. And I understood from that point that it was now up to me. A queue formed of about 200 people wanting prayer. And yours truly was their best effort. So I just well, screamed almost prayers up to God to please help me. And amazingly, God did come in on that situation. And people were healed. And people were delivered of demons. I mean, India, the demonic is right in your face. You'll see it right from the first moment. But God was faithful. And he helped us. On the final day of those meetings, which was a Sunday, we pitched up at the church at 9.30 a.m. in the morning. That was actually quite late. Often they're about 5.30 in the morning, but 9.30 that day. And there was such a presence of God when we walked into the church. And Rajan and I were going to preach together during those two services. We we're going to tag preach. The service finished at about 1 o'clock. And we finished praying for people at 4.30 in the afternoon. During this time, I remember one little boy came up to be prayed for. And uh, he was a boy who was just kind of, he wasn't saying anything, he was just kind of making noises. And I understood from his father that he was uh, deaf. He was, he'd been born deaf, not able to, to hear. And as we prayed for him, God opened his ears. And it was amazing. And this little boy, it was a seven-year-old boy, was running around the church, screaming his head off because he was hearing for the first time in his life. Light had invaded the darkness. And when light invades the darkness, light always overcomes the darkness. And many times in India I've seen that. People will manifest demonically in ways that you could not imagine. But every time when you pray in the name of Jesus Christ, light comes into those situations and they are freed. And that's what Christ has called us to, isn't it? To freedom. He has called us to freedom. But looking at these things... You have to ask, what is actually going on and what has this got to do with Olympic-sized competition? I can't remember when it was. I just remember watching this television program and uh, I forget what it was about. But I remember there were some English people in this particular television program and they were were travelling through Southern Ireland. So you're with me? They're in Southern Ireland. They were lost, so they pulled their car over and asked a local man for directions. They tell him where they want to get to, and he, in his best Irish accent, replies, which is much better than mine, if I was you, I wouldn't be starting from here. (laughs) For those of you who need translation, if I was you, I wouldn't be starting from here. You know, where we start from when we think about the kingdom of God really matters. Where we start from is the key to understanding the world in which we live. Olympic-sized competition is no more and no less about the battle that there is for our minds, the way that we look at and view the world. You know, I wear contact lenses, and without the contact lenses, I, can just about, I would just about be able to see my notes here. It matters how we look at things. The lenses through which we view our world need to be viewed through the lens of the Word of God. Because otherwise, we will start from the wrong place. The Westminster Confession declares that the chief end of man is to worship God. And man by man, I mean generically, you know, man and woman. Our chief end, our best purpose is to worship God. If you've got your Bibles, you might want to open at Colossians chapter 1. I'll be going around the Bible a little bit, but if you want to follow, please do. In Colossians 1 verse 11, it says this. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might 
for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul puts things so well, doesn't he? But let's just unpack that a bit so that we are looking at the world in the right way. Bill Johnson says in his latest book, Hosting God's Presence, we always reflect the nature of the world we are most aware of. Can you hear that? We always reflect the nature of the world we are most aware of. So in our minds, if we are more used to something happening in a certain way or you've always attempted something and it's always failed, then whatever you are most aware of is what will happen. Nine times out of ten. Because it matters what we think. I'd love to say that what we say over our lives doesn't matter, but I understood when I was in India that many, many people were cursing us on a regular basis. And one of the things that we had to do as a family was make sure those curses were driven to the ground so that they did not affect us. If you don't think things matter, then why did God speak and say, let there be light? He spoke. The spoken word has the power of life and death, so Proverbs tells us. So we must understand that what we say over our lives matters. And what we say over our lives should reflect what we read in the Word of God. It says in that passage that we are qualified, qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We've seen over these past couple of weeks that there have been some who have been disqualified in the Olympic Games because of technical issues, moving off their base too quickly or going over some kind of line or you know, because they've taken drugs. They have been disqualified. But we are qualified. We are qualified not because of anything that we have done. We're qualified because we have to go through Jesus Christ. Through the blood of Jesus, we are qualified to receive an inheritance as the saints of God. That's good, isn't it? That's good news. You might want to notify your faces. That would be good. Okay, it is good news. And last week we heard that Steve said, we are hidden with Christ in God. And that is such an amazing picture, hidden with Christ in God. He kind of wrapped up in Jesus, who then God then wraps that up. He hides us in himself because he loves his son. And when he sees us, he sees his son. And he wraps himself around that. What an amazing thing for us to have in our lives. Secondly, I want to say that we are saints, not sinners. Thanks, Bernard. We are saints, not sinners. Do you want to practice that for a minute? We are saints, not sinners. You know, why is that important? Well, let me tell you that it's really important. Because when I, you know, I understand and I get it when we say that we are sinners saved by grace. And we are. But when we constantly refer to ourselves as sinners, we have a tendency to do that. But if we refer to ourselves as saints, you know, we may mess up. I'm guaranteed that we'll mess up. But when we mess up, then we can take responsibility as we remind ourselves or as we remind each other that we are saints. Take responsibility for the mess and clear it up and move on. The punishment is not necessary. The punishment has already been laid on Jesus. What more can we do to punish him anymore? But what we can do is to remind ourselves that we are sons and daughters of God. And as such, we walk in a certain way. And we can fix it and move on. The term saint is referred to 60 times in the New Testament. The term sinners is 29 times. And in no 
context is it referring to the, the, the follower of Christ? We have to get this because in encouraging each other to be saints, we speak a good word over each other and encourage each other to walk as children of God. Amen? If you believe in Christ and follow him then, you are a saint. That changes the way you think. If you're not sure what a saint does, fall in love with Jesus. Then you will have his heart and do what he did in the world. We've been rescued from something and delivered to something. We've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and we've been delivered to the kingdom of light. Freedom. Freedom in Christ. We've been delivered for freedom. You know, I was watching the worship this morning and, I, and Nicola's always smiling, which is always encouraging. But you know, when you look at that, I just got this sense of, and I think the band as well, there, there was a bit of a sense of fun in the house, wasn't there? That's terrible, isn't it? It's in church. But there's a sense of fun. And do you know what? I think that, glad, that gladdens God's heart. There's a sense in which he's looking down on us and think, just go for it. Just enjoy yourselves worshipping me. That is really good. And we can have fun in church, please. Okay, so a couple of you have got that. That's good. Got some work to do here. <laughs> but we can have fun. You know, the, more, the older I get, the more I realize that God is not as worried about my behavior Sorry, I'm more worried about my behavior than God is. He's looking at our hearts. He knows that we mess up at times, but then he's just saying, come on, let's get up and let's try again. You know, we can walk in this kingdom. We can know this kingdom every minute of every day. Over these last 20 years, I've really been wrestling and battling with the fact that I want to see the kingdom of God come in the workplace and in the marketplace where we see, because I believe that that's a place where we can see the, the light, if you like, contrasted starkly with the darkness that is in there. You know, people are really struggling with things at the moment. But you have a good message. You have a message of hope, a message of good news. If there's nothing else that we've just seen over these last couple of weeks and over the Diamond Jubilee, is that there is some good news. And it lifts the nation. There's a different spirit. And that spirit is what's in this church. But it shouldn't stay in here. It should go out there and influence wherever we are. You know, Satan has only got one weapon, and that is deception. He only uses deceit. You know, the fact is that when Jesus died on the cross, when he went into the tomb, he went into hell and he got the keys of this place and he said, these are mine, I have bought and paid for them. And he has rescued us as a result. Adam gave him the keys to the kingdom, as it were, and Jesus rested them back when he died for our sins. We no longer have to be bondaged to him as a slave. We can be released as a son. Don't be deceived. Fill your mind with the word of God because it's that that drives us and is the lens in which we see the world. Ephesians 1 verses 3 to 6 says this, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. For he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we may be holy and unblemished in his sight, in love. He did this by predestining us to adoption as his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace that he has freely bestowed on us in his dearly loved Son. Paul was talking in that context into a Roman audience. And the Romans were well have understood what was going on here. In a Roman culture, 
a, a Roman, uh, say one of the, you know, the high-ranking Romans, if he wanted to adopt another person's son, they would often be adopted from a slave's family. So they would go and find a son in a, flame, in, a, in a slave's family and they would find them and they would say, would you mind if I adopted your son? And the slave father would obviously say, no, of course not, because he gives him an opportunity to be a son in a much wealthier family. And what they would do is they would go into the marketplace and three times they would talk about, you know, what, you know can I adopt your son? And the father of the son, the, the natural father of the son would say, yes, you can adopt, I give him freely to you. And at the point at which the son was given to the Roman senator or whoever it was, that adopted son would have exactly the same rights as any of his own natural children. Do you see the picture? It's awesome. It is awesome as we understand what it is. And that is what is inside of us. The spirit of adoption. No longer are we slaves to sin. We are free in Christ as his son. As God's son and daughter. It says here, according to the pleasure of his will. You know, some of us, you need to hear that God is pleased with you. God is good and he is in a good mood. It's strange, we never say that, do we? You know, I grew up thinking that God is a judge ready to press a button, smite him. I was waiting for the next lightning bolt. But you see, God is not like that. His pleasure, his delight is you and me. When you come to him through Christ, his pleasure is to... You know, when I was, uh, when I was a new father, when Jessica was in the, in, the, in the crib, I used to love just going in and looking at her. And looking at her little toes and her hands and just checking she was still breathing, that kind of thing, as you do as a dad. You know, God does that to you and me. He does. He sings over us. Zachariah says he sings over us. You know, the point at which I understood better what it was to follow and serve Jesus Christ was the point at which I began to love him. See, I always knew it was true that God loved me. I knew that. But just as when Simon Peter was on the beach that time, after he denied Christ... What does Jesus say to him? He doesn't say, I love you, Simon Peter. Feed my sheep. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? There's something that happens in our spirit when we begin to love the Lord Jesus. And I'm sorry, it's completely undone me. I'm not the most emotional of guys, but you know, I was weeping every time somebody got a gold medal during the Olympics. It was amazing. And there are just things I see these days and they just pull at my heart because I realize those are the same things, the redemptive plan of God for this world. When people come to him, when they're healed, when they're delivered, that should move us in our heart. Before I describe any more about that, just let us watch this clip. Derek Redmond, the best form he's shown since he broke the British record. He was in great shape, you know, he, he was, had a chance, possibility of maybe getting a medal there. Kevin Hernandez has got uh, Redmond to aim at and so too in line number three is Steve Lewis, but Redmond's got off very fast indeed and so too is Ismail of Qatar. Down the back straight, he's the fractional leader. Father of Nigeria, 
has gone very quickly and Redmond has broken down. He's on the track, kneeling down, and Derek Redmond, on his injury problem, the jinx has struck again. Running down the back straight, I heard a funny clap or a pop, and I honestly, for a split second, thought I'd been shot. Uh, and then obviously I realised I've, I've pulled a hamstring. And then when the pain sort of died down, I remembered where I was and what I was doing, and I remember thinking, quick, you're in the Olympic semi-finals, you prat, get up and start running. And I got to the 200 metre mark after hobbling 50 metres, and looked across and all the guys had finished, and it pretty much hit me that, you know, it ain't gonna happen, it's all over. I would have laid there. You know, to be honest, there's no way I would have got up, because hamstring, when you've got a hamstring, you know you've got a hamstring. He just wants to finish. His dad's trying to run under the track to stop him. He's going to tell him, Derek, don't. The old man went to put his arms around me, and I was just about to try and push him off, because I thought it was someone else. I didn't see him. He sort of jogged from behind. And uh, he said, look, you don't need to do this. You can stop him now. You haven't got nothing to prove. And I said, oh, I have. You know, get me back into lane five. I want to finish. Now in the greatest arena in sport, he's getting the cheer of the games. I would never have wanted to be in Derek's shoe at that time. You know, it was a sad moment. It was a, you know, a great moment, you know, in the sport, to be honest. It's a figure, a picture that just stays in your mind. It's awesome, isn't it? 65,000 people watching the Olympic Games. What do they remember? <laughs> They remember that thing there. In Luke 15, we find the story of the prodigal son. And, you know, I'm very familiar with that story. And I've read it the same way forever. But I've had my kind of focus refocused, if you like. If you can imagine, the younger son has asked for his dad's inheritance. In fact, you know, in, in Jewish terms, he's wished that he was dead. Can I have your stuff now? So he goes off to a country and he spends that money and he ends up being in a, in a, in a, in a, in a field with pigs and he, trying to eat their stuff. And he, realize that he comes to his sense and he realizes that he's, he's in a mess and he's going to go back and offer himself as his father's servant. Not his son, but his servant. And this is what happens when he's coming home. When he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His heart pounding, he ran out, embraced him and kissed him. The son started his speech. Father, I've sinned against God. I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son ever again. But the father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants. Quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive, given up for lost and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. All this time, the older brother was out in the field, and when the day's work was done, he came in. As he approached the house, he heard the music and dancing. Calling over one of the houseboys, he asked what was going on. He told him, your brother came home. Your father has ordered a feast, barbecued beef, because he is him home safe and sound. The older brother stalked off in an angry sulk and refused to join in. His father came out and tried to talk to him, but he wouldn't listen. The son said, look, how many years I've stayed here serving you, never giving you one moment of grief. But have you ever thrown a party for me and my friends? Then this son of yours who has thrown away your money on whores shows up and you go all out 
with a feast. His father said, son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time. And everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time and we had to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he is found. You know, this story is called the story of the prodigal son, but it's not about the prodigal son. And it's not about the older brother. It's about an extravagant father. An extravagant father. We saw in that clip, Phil, uh, Derek Redmond's dad, he, he, he had to push his way through security people and everybody to get to his son. But nothing was going to keep him from his son. I think some of us here today need to understand that God feels that way about you. That he's not expecting you to run this race, to fall over in the middle of the track and, 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 and him shouting at you from some distant planet saying, get up on your feet and get going. No. He runs and he bends down and he picks us up and he carries us, if necessary, over the finishing line. We need to hear that. This father, the, the Jews would have understood that this father would never, ever run towards his son. No Jewish dad did that. That was completely undignified. But this guy, he saw his son as a dot on a horizon and he hitched up his skirts to him and he ran after him and he stunk of pigs and everything else and he wrapped his arms around him and said, I love you. And the same with the older son. No one calls your dad out of the party. He's busy. But he wasn't too busy to go and talk to his older son. An extravagant father who loves us, who delights in us, who looks upon us and understands our lives and says, you don't have to do this on your own. We have an amazing message. It's not a message of judgment. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He did not come into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. We forget that one, don't we? We have an amazing message. You know, we've seen recently the, the, the bells that have gone down the River Thames in front of the Queen's Barge. you remember that? And the Diamond Jubilee? And the peals of bells were rung on that barge, eight bells, and the churches answered all the way up the Thames. And what are those bells about? They're about joy. They're about celebration. They're about a wedding, a marriage, that kind of thing. And on 27th of July, we saw uh, the Olympic Committee asking us all to ring a bell at the start of the Olympic Games. And so everybody rang the bell at about 8, 12 in the morning or something like that. And in between those two events, there was such a deluge of rain. What was that about? I'll tell you what I think it was about. I think God poured out his Holy Spirit on this nation over those times. Bells are about an announcement of coming joy. And in between, he's poured out his spirit. And if even half of that is true, and we are about on the cusp, I believe, of an amazing revival. Things that have been difficult, things that have been challenging, they will no longer be so. We need to get in. We need to get to this boot camp that Mark Greenwood is, um, is talking about. You know, every time I see that guy, you want to laugh, don't you? But when, when you see that, you, you, we need to understand that evangelism is what we're about, about telling people about Jesus. Just a simple illustration. We're going down to speak at an Ethiopian church on a Saturday or two ago. And we pulled into a service station. And unusually, there was somebody there who actually wanted to fill my tank for me, a petrol attendant. 
Been used to that in India, but not here. And he said, would you like me to do it? I said, yeah, that would be great. He said, gosh, you're the first person who said that would be all right. But as he was filling up the tank, he said, you know, what are you going to go and do today? And I said, well, we're off to go and preach at a church and tell people about Jesus. He said, really? I didn't expect you to say that. (laughs) And we had a conversation just for a couple of minutes about church, about things like that. It was so easy. And I'm so scared to talk about things like that. I'd rather preach to 5,000 people than talk to people about Jesus. Ridiculous. But there is, a, there is a, a freedom in Christ right now. But let me say, if we bring a message of judgment, we're not bringing the right message. Yes, Jesus, yes, God is bringing his kingdom, but he's bringing it in the context of us knowing God as Father. We are bringing a message of Father to a fatherless generation. That is awesome. Some of you here, you don't know God as Father. Jesus made it very easy for us. He's no longer Yahweh. He is awesome. I mean, who would put the Crab Nebula up there just to have a bit of fun? He is awesome. But Jesus said, call him Abba, Father. Abba is one of the most intimate Jewish terms for Dad. Call him Dad. My dad's awesome. My dad's, my dad rocks. It makes it different in your mind, doesn't it? I'm just going to ask the band to, to come up. I believe God is giving us an opportunity today. There is a competition for our minds. It's the competition for us to walk as slaves, to be in judgment of other people, to think they're not doing it right. That's not how you live the Christian life. Or the other opportunity is the life of a son or a daughter and to say, you know, God has got it worked out. I don't need to worry about those things. I always remember that David, when he had the opportunity to kill Saul, when everybody was asleep around him, he didn't say, he said, said, no, I will not kill the Lord's anointed. Let God deal with him. He's God's problem. Let's look at our own hearts. If you don't know God as dad this morning, you have an opportunity I want to pray for you to know God in that way. It is that fact, knowing him him as dad, using such an intimate term that has really changed my heart. I can't emphasize to you enough how important that is. Yes, his kingdom is coming. Yes, his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. But it must be in the context of a loving relationship between us and him. We're going to stand and sing another song. I'm going to pray. But can I ask you, please, if you want to know God more intimately, if you want a fresh filling of the Spirit so that you can know him that way, and I've been a Christian 40 years, and only in the last couple of years have I known God that way. I know there are many of you in the same place. If that's you, Would you please come forward and we'll pray for you. It's no embarrassment. It's a safe place here. And there's a ministry team who are willing to pray for you. But don't say no. Because the message we're bringing to this nation is one of joy and celebration and fun. And we can only do that as we jump all over daddy's lap and enjoy a relationship with him. Let's stand. I'm going to pray for you. Father, you are awesome. You are amazing. 
We speak and sing about hands that flung stars into space, giving themselves up to cruel nails. Well, there's so much more than that, Jesus, because you rose from the dead. You were raised from the dead by our Father, and you are seated at his right hand. And now, now, Father, we can call you Dad. And that's amazing. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll help us to see our Heavenly Father as Dad. And to know that the Spirit is available right now so that our friends and our family and our work colleagues and our marriages, they can be healed and restored and saved. Lord, let this church be one of those that has the joy of the Lord in their hearts. That people start asking, what's going on in there? I want some of that. In Jesus' name. So as we sing, let me invite you, please, come forward. If you want healing, we'll pray for that too. But just, if you want to know God as dad, to go deeper with him, to be intimate. Jesus didn't die for a religion. He died for a relationship. Please come, in Jesus' name.